Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. going to Pastor John Shipman. Thank you, Nathan, and thank you to the worship team there. That was beautiful, and may the Lord bless you all. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you to uh, Pastor Werner, Pastor Gary, uh, Brother Colm for the invitation, and then for everyone who's welcomed me to the house of the Lord. So may the Lord bless you this morning, and may, may it be wonderful to, to come to the Word of the Lord. Um, just a little bit of feedback from the Kingsway Church down in Caram Downs. It is going well with us. The church is doing well. We still have our services on Sundays, although I pre-record them and I load them on YouTube. And you are most welcome to go and have a look at them there as well. Um, I believe the sifting of the church is starting with all of what's happened in the world. If there is a time to worship God and to praise God and to continue worshiping Him, it's the time is now. And it challenges every single way that we worship God. And that is my belief that, you know, the sifting is happening. You get Christians who do not like this way of worshiping. They don't like all of things. Well, it's not a matter of like. It's a matter of worship and praising God. Amen. I just want to say, you know, when Colin started talking, I just want to thank him for confirming the message this morning. If you come into a church and you preach as a guest speaker, you'd never know whether the message is for the people and for the hour. And when Colm started to speak, I thank the Holy Spirit for confirming it. So I want us all to turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to spend a little bit of time in the Bible. So I want you to keep it open in front of you. I'm not just going to read one verse. I'm going to read this verse and I want to unpack it and then... I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak into each one of our hearts this morning. So I want to talk to you about the theme, Jesus, our peace. And Colin, you will see now when you spoke about fear, this is so applicable to where we are in our lives today. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, you might say, but uh, preacher, why do you go to this passage? You will see. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, I will read it for you. It says, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Now, where you sit, you can shout hallelujah. Nobody will hear you, but that is so wonderful. He has broken down the middle wall of separation. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, thereby, putting to death the enmity. Let's just thank the Lord for his word. Father, I come to you this morning as a weak man, Lord, which needs your Holy Spirit to strengthen me. 
And Father, as this vessel, I pray, Lord, that you speak to every hearer today of this word. As Brother Aaron prayed this morning, your word is alive. It is powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. And this part is important, Lord. It is the discerner of the heart. So, Father, I pray that you discern your hearts this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, our peace. Now, when we look at the scripture, and when I look at the scripture, I find that there's a threefold application of scripture, threefold application. There is a local application. And this means that when Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus, there was a church there. They were Christians there, just like you and me. And he was writing this letter to them. So they would take this letter wherever he was, and he was writing it to them, and they would take it to the church. And the church would gather together very excited about what the Apostle Paul was going to tell them. And as they get in together, they will open up the letter and they will start reading the whole letter. And remember, there were no chapter divisions like we have privilege today to say, we're going to read just from these verses. They would read the whole letter out to the whole church. And that was a, a local application. We're going to look at the scripture today as a local application. But secondly, the Word of God has got a prophetic application. Now, what do we mean by that? It means that the scriptures which was written back in Paul's day has got an application. And I've got just got a power shortage. Is it, can everybody still hear me? Yeah, all good. Fantastic. I think I was speaking too, too, too loud. The computer screen went down. <laughs> So we see that it was a prophetic application. And that means that the scriptures that Paul wrote back in the day is also applicable to our day. So his letter that he wrote to the church there is now taken up in our canon and it makes part of our Bible. And we know that the Bible says that every word in the Bible is an inspiration from God. It's breathed by God. So it's got a prophetic application. But then the most important one for me is that it's got a personal application. That means that this letter that Paul wrote back in the day, not only for those Christians, but also for our times, is also applicable to me. So when I come to the Word of God and I read this passage through, I look at it and I say, Lord, what is this telling me? What is this showing me to change and to apply into my life? So it's under these three that I want to walk through the scripture verse for us. So let's look at our scripture verse again, if uh, Sean can put it up for us. If we look at our text today, we find that Paul repeats the word peace twice there. He says in verse 14, he himself is our peace. And then in verse 15, he says, thus making peace. It also repeats the word enmity twice. Now, enmity means hostility, or it means a fight, or it means hate. And do we see a lot of those in our world these days? You just have to look around you, and you see factions fighting each other. Paul uses that word in this passage twice. Verse 15, he says, abolished in his flesh the enmity, the fighting, the hostility. Verse 16, putting to death the enmity, the fighting. And then in verse 15, he says there is a reference to the separation, and it is the separation is hedged in between the peace of God and enmity, 
right in the middle there's a separation and then finally in your passage he talks about reconciliation i find it so beautiful when these words just stand out to us today because this speaks to our day so let's look at the prophetic application of this passage for us you see all of these players in this scripture verse that i read is playing a part in our daily lives peace enmity separation reconciliation and you see when we look at peace there's two ways that peace is described to us today first of all we find peace described the peace of the world and we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 3 if you want to write this down and go and search for the scripture he says for when they say peace and safety then sudden destruction come upon them as a labor pain upon the pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So the word says, for they. So who's the they he's talking about? Well, you can say it's the politicians of today. It's the world today. When the politicians cry out, peace and peace and peace, you know, uh, vote for me because I can give you peace. And this is what they do. Or you get groups going around and they say, if you believe in what we say, you know, Black Lives Matter or, you know, all of these kind of things, you know, if you believe in what we bring you, it's going to bring you peace. And it's so beautiful when Paul writes this there in that passage in Thessalonians. He says, when they say peace and safety, then some destruction comes upon them. This is a peace that the world is pursuing. They running after this peace. But then Jesus also talks about a peace. In John chapter 14, verse 27, he says these words when he was going to depart. The next day he's going to hang on the cross. He prepared him that he's going to go away. But in this passage, in John 14, 27, he turns to his disciples and he says to them, Peace I leave to you. And now he says, My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid. So there's two pieces here, the peace that the world gives and the peace that Christ gives. I don't know about you, but I think I know which peace I want. Because the scripture says it so beautifully. It says that the world cries out peace, but it's going to bring a sudden destruction on them. But the peace of Christ is a beautiful peace. Now, it is also called the peace of God. If you turn over your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, he says this, he says, and the peace of God, it's so beautiful, it's so magnificent, because it's nothing that this world can offer. He says the peace of God. Now listen to this, he says, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. Now this is the kind of peace that I like. This is the kind of peace that we need. And this is the kind of peace that, frankly, makes the world mad. Because when they fret and when they fear and when they look at the waves and, and, they, and they cry, you know, world, mocha fall on us and everything, we stand there as Christians with the peace of God and it surpasses all understanding. And this is the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. And this is what we want to pursue today. Jesus, our peace. You see, it is a prophetic application because the world today needs peace. Everybody knows it. Everybody is looking for it. 
So I looked at the word peace, the definition of peace in the dictionary, and this is what I found. It says, peace is a state of mutual harmony. It's harmony. When I think of harmony, I think of Nathan and the band, when they play together, they harmonize, they come together so that it becomes a beautiful sound. It means, harmony means one vision. It means between people and groups, and especially in personal relationships, you want harmony. Otherwise, you don't have peace. Another explanation, it's a freedom from civil commotion and of violence in a community or in a public order or security. And just look on your screens what's happening in America. They need peace, and they know that. They're looking at the wrong places for peace. And uh, that will cost them, because the Bible says a sudden destruction will come upon them. You see, the opposite of peace is division. Now, if you take the word division and you break it in two, you will have die, which means two visions. And if you've got two visions, they oppose each other. And this is the peace that, that the world gives. The peace of the world is one party says, look, we're going to make plans so that you can live out your life and you will have peace with our plans. The other group says, no, no, we're going to make plans for you so that you can have peace in your life. And it doesn't work. So then I looked at the Greek form for the word of peace here. And this word peace comes from the Greek word Irene. And this is a total different piece because it doesn't talk about earthly things. It talks about something inside of us. You see, peace in Greek means the tranquil state of the soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God. Now that's a different piece. And that's the piece that we need to pursue. But let me finally say, just in the prophetic side of this, if somebody asks you, what is the definition for peace? You don't have to remember the word irony. You don't have to say any difficult definition. If somebody comes to you and they ask you, what is the definition of peace? I want to give you the answer today. Peace for me and for you is not a word. It is a person. Peace is Jesus Christ himself. And our scripture verse says it so beautifully. Ephesians 2.14, he says, for he himself is our peace. So if you have Jesus Christ, you have peace. If you don't have him, you don't have peace. You have rights and you can follow the worldly peace that's out in the world. So that is the prophetic uh, uh, application of the scripture. Now, let me just talk to you about the local application. Because when Paul wrote this letter, as I told you, there was a physical church there, the church in Ephesus. And we find in Acts chapter 19 that he talks about the church in Ephesus. So Paul went to Asia. He started preaching around there. He met a few disciples of John the Baptist, most probably. And he asked them whether they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they didn't know what he was talking about. So the scripture says that he baptized them. And as soon as they were baptized, the Spirit came upon them. They spoke in languages. And that was followed up by power of, of miracles. You know, even handkerchiefs were laid upon people and they got healed. And it was a wonderful time in Ephesus. And the church grew strong. And Paul went into the synagogues and he preached in the synagogues in the synagogue until they got tired of him. And then he went outside. But there's something interesting that happened there from verse 23 onwards. There was a man by the name of Demetrius. Now, Demetrius was a silversmith, 
And he had a very lucrative business there because he was making small statues of Diana, the, the goddess Diana. And in Ephesus, there was a, a big temple, a great temple to the goddess Diana. And he was very lucrative. Well, the problem was because of the church growing there and because of Paul's work and the Holy Spirit's work in that area, people started to go away from the temple. They started going to the Christians. And Demetrius was worried about his business. And he then got the men together, all of the silversmiths, not only in Ephesus, but also right through Asia. He got them all together and he says, fellas, you know, we're going to lose our business here. These Christians and Paul, they're too efficient. We, we, we soon will have to close shop, not because of COVID, but because of these Christians. And uh, it started a big riot there. So he, he, he talked them up, he hyped them up. And soon we saw that while they got together, they started walking through the streets of Ephesus and shouting, great is Diana, great is Diana. Um, and they walked into, and they caught a few of the Christians and took them into, into a place there and they were going to beat them. So this is the day. I want you to understand that there was a local church who started going through hardship just as we will and just as we are, you know, persecution against the church. And let me just say, we haven't felt any of that in Australia yet. This COVID is not against us currently. Well, uh, my prediction, and it's not a prophecy, but it's a prediction, is that once these things settle down, eventually they will turn on the church. They will turn on you and me, and they will turn on these kind of uh, preaching that we do in the name of Jesus Christ. But that's a different message. But we see that they were filled with confusion, and they started a riot. And uh, we see that happening today on our TV screens, do we? We see one person hyping up a crowd, and if you've got a crowd, you've got plenty, and you get more, and you can do anything with the crowd. You see, with this temple there, not only did they have the temple of Diana, but once a year, people like Demetrius had to go up to the temple and they had to burn incense, you know, burn a candle, go on their knees. They had to bow their knee. Listen to this. They had to bow their knee in the temple. Don't you hear those words a lot today? Bow the knee. Let it be known that in the book of Daniel, those three men said, we will not bow the knee except for our God. And I will not bow my knee for anyone else except my God. But even in Paul's day, they had to go into the temple and bow the knee. And they had to shout, Caesar is Lord. Now, if they didn't do that, they couldn't trade. They wouldn't give a pass to go out and do the silversmith work. It is to these people that Paul writes, Jesus is our peace. How beautiful and how wonderful. It's got a local application. Not only that. I find later on in uh, Acts chapter 20 that Paul went on his way back to Jerusalem and he called for the elders of who? Of Ephesus. And he said to these elders when he got together, he says, watch out. Because I know for after I leave, there will come savage wolves. He calls them savage wolves in amongst you who will not spare the church. Uh, they will go after the church. Not only that, that's not the only problem. But from among yourself, men will rise up and speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples unto themselves. So you can think for yourself if you hear these things in a church environment. Like Colum said, fear will set in and fear will come upon you. 
And it's to these people in Ephesus that he writes, Jesus is our peace. So we've got two applications. One, a prophetic application. Two, there was a local application. Now I want to hurry on and talk to you about the third application, which I think is in context what this passage speaks to us. We can apply the first two applications on the side, but the one I'm going to talk now is a personal application. That is when the Holy Spirit comes and he points his finger on to you and he says, I'm talking to you now. This is for you. You see, brother and sister, dear friend, there is a bigger war that's raging than the one that you see on your TV screens, than the one that we hear about, than COVID. There's a bigger war that's raging, a war that no people want to talk about except children of God. And we are so focused on the other order, not on this particular one. This is the war in our souls, not for our souls, in our souls. You see, the war for our souls has already been won. It's nailed on the cross. Jesus already won that war. But it's in our souls that that war rages. It shouldn't rage, but it does for a lot of people. The inward peace will prepare us for outward struggles. This is why Paul can write to the Philippians and he says, the peace that surpasses all understanding. That peace is the peace that we need to pursue. So let's take the rest of our time to put this verse in context and allow the Bible to apply it to our hearts. Now, I want us to do a little bit of Bible work here. So if you've got your Bible, please go with me, and we're going to see a few things now. We're going to open up in Ephesians chapter 2. And if we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, that verse starts with a very interesting word. It's a very theological word. And that's the word for. It's a big word. In my, in my screen, I've actually highlighted the big in text. Many, many scholars worry about this word, but it's not so difficult. It's only the word for. Look at the word. He says in Ephesians 2 verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Now, whenever you see the word for, it is an application word. It applies to something that is said before that word. So you can't just use the word as I've used it before and just read from that passage. You need to go back and you need to go and see what is Paul on to here. What did he say before this word, before this passage? So allow me to show you how, what brings us to this word and this passage. We start in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. So if you open up there and thank you, Sean, for showing it on the screen. Look at this verse here. He says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. So first of all, he talks about somebody who's been made alive. So if you are made alive, it means that you are dead. Now you might say, but preacher, wait a minute. I'm still breathing. I can feel my breath. My eyes is still. No, no. He's talking about a spiritual death here. And he says, you were spiritually dead and he made you alive. Now, why were you spiritually dead? There's two things there. He says, because of trespasses. Now, the Greek word for trespasses is paratoma. Now, paratoma means to cross a line. It means to go into an area where you should not go into. And we all know that. I remember growing up in South Africa, walking from school home. You pass a few of the yards and the gates are closed and there's a sign there. 
and it says, beware of the dog, do not enter. Now, as a young boy, I was a little bit more fitter and not as heavy today. I sometimes challenged the dog. I would jump over the fence, walk one or two or three steps in, see where the dog is. And once it comes around the corner, I would jump over the fence. Well, that is trespassing. And that's what this scripture talks about. And there is so many natural laws that God has put in place. Think of a beach. The sea stop at the beach. That's the line. If it goes over the beach, if it goes where it shouldn't go, we have chaos. And this is in our lives, dear friend. If you go to places where God do not want you to go, it is chaos. And there's so many evidence in life. So this is man as a rebel, not listening to God. That's the word trespasses. He says you were dead because of those trespasses. But secondly, he says, and sins. Now the word there for sins is the word harmatia. And harmatia means to miss the mark. It means, it means that if you are shooting for a bullseye, it means that you are missing that mark. And the mark here is the law of God. And let it be known that no man could make that law. No one could make that mark except Jesus Christ. So this talks about man's failure. So what is Paul writing here? He says, you are a rebel and you're a failure. And because of that, you are spiritually dead. So we move on. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. You see, this death now causes three things to happen. What are they? Let's have a look. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2, in which you once walk according to the course of the world. There's the one. Spiritually dead people walk according to the course of the world. And we see that happening around us. This is not the planet. This is the cosmos. This is the, the lifestyle style, style of the world he's talking about. And then secondly, he says, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the second one. Who's that? That is Lucifer, that's Satan. He's the spirit now who works in the sons of disobedience. So there's two things already that is a spiritually dead person do. They walk according to the course of the world and they follow the prince of the power of the air. You say, wow, that is a very hard word. Well, it's true. The Bible says it. He says, if you're not a son of God, you're a son of disobedience. And if you're a son of disobedience, you follow the spirit who works now the prince of the power of the air. But then he says also, among also whom we now conduct ourselves in the lust of the flesh. There's the third one. Fulfilling the desire of the flesh and the mind and we by nature. We are, now listen to this, children of wrath, just as the others. Three things now that spiritually dead people do. People who's rebels and who's a failure. Now, this is an awful state to be in. I don't know about you, but when I read that, you, you say, but preacher, you just lifted us up with the scriptures, but now you're bringing us down. Well, it's not me. The word speaks it so clearly. It is a state that we don't want to be in, but we can identify with. But I want you now to look at verse 4. Because as we've come down now and we understand the state of man, the next verse starts with the word, and here's another theological, big theological word, Pastor Werner. It's the word, but. What a wonderful word. I love this word because it means a sharp contrast. I just showed you how the terrible state of mankind is, and then the word says, but God, hallelujah. 
I love that. That is so powerful and it's so wonderful. Because let it be known, there's only one who can take you out of that state. And it is God. He says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. Now, if there were three things that a dead man do, a spiritually dead man do, God knows our situation and he did three things. Look at this. He did three things now. Look at this. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. What happened? Paul, tell us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, I showed you that. What did he do? He made us alive. You are free to shout hallelujah whenever you sit right now. Because you should become really excited about that. He made us alive. Praise the Lord. And what else? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then the second thing, he raised us up together. And again, you are free to shout hallelujah. He raised us up together. And what is the third thing he did? And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How wonderful is that? I recall, I think Gary, Pastor Gary preached a message on that once. And I rejoiced in that because we need to understand where our sitting is. Within this world, but not of the world, brother and sister. In verse 7, he says that this age is to come. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards Christ, uh, us in Christ Jesus. So three things. The world, the deadly, spiritually dead person walks in. Christ came and he rectified that. Three things. We see that God is working in us, in our fallen stage. He's coming to us. Now, let's quickly continue on. I'm aware of time. I just love the word of God and spend time in the word. It's so powerful. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. Praise the Lord. It is a gift of God. Not of works. Praise the Lord. Lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that she, we should walk in them. So what is he saying here? He says, we are God's workmanship. He's still working on us. Praise the Lord. But let's continue now to verse 11. Because verse 11 starts with a wonderful word as well. And Pastor Bernard here is one of those big theological words again, therefore. I like these words, for, but, therefore. It is uh, the student's words. A student loved these words. You see, he's going to call us to a remembrance of something here. In verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. So what is Paul saying? He says to us, remember. Remember these things. There are three things we're going to remember now. I love the threes today. First of all, in verse 12, he says that at that time, you were without Christ. That is terrible. You were without Christ. Secondly, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and the strangers from the covenants of promise. Let it be known that God is not finished with Israel. And so we are not finished with Israel. We are grafted in. We, are, we were aliens and now we are part of the commonwealth of Israel and the covenants of promise. Two things there. 
And then he goes over to the third thing, having no hope and without God in the world. Listen, uh, Brother Colum, you, you talked about fear. And I can tell you today why people have got fear. Because they're in a world without God. And our prayer should be, not protect us, oh Lord, protect this little group of Christians here in Melbourne. No, no. Our prayer should be, Lord, help us to reach those without God. Help us to reach in with no other message than the message of God. The gospel the good news. I see it today. A lot of people is without hope. You know, I work in a secular world as well. And you know, I've got people who report back to me and I look in their eyes and I see fear. And I know what they need. They don't need another political party. They don't need Black Lives Matter. They don't need to bow the knee. They don't need the vaccine. They don't need the lockdown. No lockdown is going to help you from this. But they need God. They need Christ. I see this happening. We see what's happening in the world. The burnings, the killing, the destruction. You know, the, uh, the abortionists, the, the people who's pushing abortion. What, what will happen if you say, okay, okay, that's fine. We will accept it. Will that stop sexual immorality? No, by far not. It will not stop it. That's not the answer. What if you come to these people who say that, you know, cancel culture. What if we say, okay, burn all the history books and write new ones? Will that help them? No. They will come after the Bible. And, and hear my words today, they are coming after the Bible. The history books is only a start. But praise the Lord, the gates of hell will not prevail. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But I'm not finished there. He gave us three things. He says, without Christ, remember you were without Christ. I was without Christ. I remember those days when I was without Christ. It's not, it's not nice days. I don't want to tell you about those days because it was terrible days. Without Christ, without God in the world. Look at verse 13 now, Ephesians 2.13. And we're coming to a close. He says in verse 13, but, look at that, there's that theological word again, that big word, but, what does it mean? Sharp contrast there in verse 13. But now, Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And again, you are most welcome to shout hallelujah and praise the Lord. You see, brother and sister, I bring to you today Jesus, our peace. It is not a definition. It is not a something. It's not an ointment. It's not a vaccine. It is a person. Our peace is a person. Never forget that. And if you have the Son, you have the Father. If you have the Son, you have eternal life. If you have eternal life, you have peace in your life, which surpasses all understanding. Now, finally, let me read our starting verse again. And, and I pray the Lord that this verse will mean much for you in these times. For he himself is our peace. Have you seen what's a long way we've come to come to this word for? Through the whole chapter 2 of Ephesians. Have you seen where he went to fetch us? You know, Peter writes it so beautiful. He says that he begotten us again. He went to buy us again. He came to the earth to buy us again. For he himself is our peace. Let it be your peace. 
I don't know what you're going through. For, for, uh, I haven't spoke to, spoken to a lot of people on this Zoom meeting today. Maybe there's things that you don't talk to other people about. It, it makes you uh, uncomfortable. Maybe you're in a situation where it's becoming too much for you. Know one thing for sure. Jesus is your peace. He has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation and has abolished the flesh in the enmity. And remember what I said out of this passage. There's a few players here. One, the peace of God. Wall of separation and on the other side, enmity, fighting. You see, brother and sister, when we were born, we were born in this nature to fight God. And here is the great news. I said before, and then finally there's that word reconciliation, reconcile. We couldn't breach this wall of separation. We couldn't joke right out. Remember? He said, who is there upon the planet, the face of the earth, who can intercede for me to God? There was no one. And then Jesus Christ came. The Son of God. Remember that title? But the title that Jesus Christ uses the most, he himself, he could have picked any title in the Bible, in the Old Testament, anyone. Jehovah, Jireh, Jehovah, Jehovah. He could have used anyone. But if you read through the New Testament, the title that Jesus used the most is the Son of Man. What does it mean? Son of God was with God and he came to live amongst us. Son of Man was with us and he lived amongst us and he experienced everything like we do. And then he died on the cross for us. He was risen from the grave, praise the Lord. He ascended on high. The Son of Man, who sits now at the right hand of the Father, intercedes for us. He reconciled us with the Father. There is so much I can say. There's so much in this passage. I mean, we can spend a decade on this. But I, pr I pray the Lord that he's spoken to your heart as he's spoken to my heart. I know this today. As Brother Colum said, I don't know what tomorrow may bring. But I know this. If tomorrow happens, Jesus will be there. And if he's there, I'm at peace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much today for your word. We thank you, Father, that it is sharp and it is, uh, Father, it cuts between bone and marrow and spirit and soul. And thank you, Lord, that you did discern our hearts. You certainly discerned my heart this morning. And Father, I pray for everybody on this Zoom meeting. And Father, I just pray, Lord, if there's anybody with any kind of fear or trouble, let them cast it upon you. Let your Holy Spirit speak in their lives right now and say, don't worry because you are there. You said it to yourself, cast your burdens unto Jesus because you care for us. Father, bless this church, bless the pastors of this church, the leadership of this church, bless every person of this church, Father. Uh, the time is coming where the church will have to stand strong and that time is very near. It is here, Father, it's arrived. Now, Father, we, we're not called to fight the world. We are called to preach the gospel. Now, Father, help us to preach the gospel. And through the gospel, people will be set free. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody, for listening to me. I pray that the Lord would have blessed your heart with his word. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. Bear with the blood of the